CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there. Welcome to Coindesk TV. We got the Hash going up on a Tuesday. I'm Zach Seward. We got Jensen Assey, Will Foxley. Shout out to the great music of Toronto. Lots going on today. It's a Tuesday. Busy day in the news today. Let's get going. All right. We're going to talk about FTX briefly here and then a little bit later. FTX scooped up all of Voyager Digital's assets. Voyager Digital, the crypto lending platform, filed for bankruptcy in July. Sam Bankman-Fried, FTX chief, swooped in, made a bid, and ended up acquiring that stuff. Interesting move. Consolidation following the great deleveraging and FTX gets a little bit bigger with some potentially savvy business moves. All right, Will, I'm going to throw this to you. What do you think about SBF and FTX buying up the remains of Voyager Digital? It's pretty interesting, and I like the pairing here because it was actually Binance versus FTX to get all these assets, right? So we have a nice little exchange war between Binance, the heavyweight, and FTX, the new kid on the block, which has really established itself over the last two years, buying up $1.4 billion worth of assets during this Chapter 11 fiasco for Voyager. Voyager, seemingly out of the woods now, doesn't really exist as a company anymore. All the assets are gone. The question now is for clients and customers of Voyager, what are they going to do? And are they going to get some of these assets from this Chapter 11 and from this buyout from Alameda, or should I say FTX rather? Not quite sure, right? FTX and SBF specifically have talked about the need to make customers whole, the need to make a lot of these retail participants have a little bit more Bitcoin in their wallets than they ended up with after this whole fiasco with Voyager going belly up. And I'd like to see what their plan is going out of this. Binance, on the other side, didn't say anything about that, right? They were trying to buy out these assets. And who quite knows what the purpose of that is? And I'm no Chapter 11 expert on this, so I don't know what they're going to do in the end of the day. But I am interested to see if SBF holds true to what his first goal was when he was trying to buy Voyager's assets. Jen, over to you. Yeah, the press release kind of alluded to the possibility of transitioning customers over to FTX US, which I thought was really interesting. So FTX spent $1.4 billion here, and I think there's three and a half million customers uh, on Voyager. So I did some quick napkin math, which equates to a cost per acquisition of about $400 a customer if all three and a half million 
where to go over to FTX US. So I thought that, you know, like if we're looking at the quick napkin math there, it makes a lot of sense when you think about the full lifetime value of a customer. I think this story though highlights an important lesson. So when we look at the bankruptcy filings, I'm just going to take a little snippet from one of the reports that came out on the story. In bankruptcy proceedings, customers of crypto platforms are treated as unsecured creditors, meaning that they're not actually entitled to the crypto they purchased. I think that there was a very valuable lesson there to be learned for anyone who is getting into crypto. Understand what you are buying and what you own. I think we can all learn from this. Zach? Thank you for that math. That was actually really good. And I think that's a good way to look at this mm -hmm. whole story, right? Like if this is really about broadening the pie in terms of FTX US's user base, then sure, that's a solid investment. I think it also suggests that crypto lending is still a pillar, one of those core things that is offered in the world of CFI among these centralized exchanges and other service providers that people want, right? They get these digital assets, they get their Bitcoin, they want to get a little bit of yield on it, they're just going to let it sit there. And that's what these crypto lenders represented and how they found product market fit. Of course, they were a bit of a black box. All the risks that they had been taking on were not known to the world uh, in a way that would be native to, uh, say, a DeFi uh, lending platform. And because of those risks that they were taking, they got wrecked bad. And that's why we're seeing this now as another uh, market participant scoops up the remaining assets of Voyager. But it does suggest that some of these companies, you know, they see crypto lending as something that's going to stick around for the long haul. As customers get these digital assets and look for some yield that they can take on them as they hold for the long term. Will, just wanted to get your last thoughts on this one before we shift. Yeah, last thought here is that FTX US continues to stay winning. Like we don't know what's going to happen, right? But this is a nice little end of the whole bull cycle for them. They came into the bull cycle, the new kid. They did really, really well. They have that pairing with Alameda Research. They're able to market make. They're able to scoop up a lot of firms during the bull run and sort of become the de facto place. Oh, I got a fact check coming. And then out of it, they've done really well scooping up Voyager. Who knows what's next for them during this bear lull, this intercycle period where a lot of things get boring. But this certainly will help them set up for the next bull cycle. Probably get some customers in the door who are endeared to them by the fact that they have worked with them. And then from there, we don't quite know. Like They, they might be able to turn around and get some of these assets back on their book. Zach, over to you. No fact check, sir. Just a yes and for all you improv fans out there. Yes, Will. Well stated. And some additional FTX news that hit the wire just as we were preparing to go to show. FTX US Chief Brett Harrison stepping down from that role to an undisclosed next thing coming. He made that announcement on Twitter this morning. Interesting to see that stepping down happen on this day. All right, we're going to change gears. We're going to talk about some more resignations. This one also in the crypto lending space. This is about Celsius, another bankrupt crypto lender. Alex Mashinsky, the CEO there, announcing today that he is stepping down, citing the fact that he had become, quote, a distraction at the beleaguered crypto lending firm. So this one, pretty crazy. He was definitely sort of the figurehead of what had become a big company in the space and what ultimately was undone by some pretty risky practices that didn't pan out too well. Tossing this straight to Jen for her thoughts on Mashinsky stepping down. Yeah, while I was reading this, I was remembering when Celsius launched and they were like the bigger, safer option to traditional banks. And here we are five years later and they owe consumers $5 billion, almost $5 billion in crypto. When I was reading this, I remembered a report that came out in the New York Times. I think it was two weeks ago. Zach, you were off. So you were 
working. I'm not sure if you if you saw, but they referred to a recording of a call between Mashinsky and employees. And he had a plan. And the plan was to turn the company around, rebuild it with a focus on custody. And the plan was to charge people fees. So it wasn't like totally clear what the exact thing was, but you know, they're in charge people fees to custody assets. After getting hard questions from employees, he compared Celsius to Delta and Pepsi, saying that Pepsi previously went bankrupt and it still tastes good. And Delta filed for bankruptcy. He asked his employees, do you not still fly Delta? I think this is just another instance of that out of touchness that we are seeing during this bear market. There are companies, I say it every day on this show, who have had such losses that have affected retail customers to such a great magnitude and are still saying these really cheeky things and not acknowledging the effect that it's had on their end users. And it is sad to see. Will, what do you think? Yeah, I like the way you put it. Out of touch is definitely one word to use here. Uh, the other thing that popped up in the press release and the things I've seen from Mashinsky is that he keeps talking about this community that seems to exist. I don't really know if there's much of a community as much as there's an outrage mob that really does not like Mashinsky anymore and has no interest in dealing with him. They just want their money back. They just want some sort of money in their pocket after what happened over the last few months. It's been pretty awful if you were invested with Celsius and if you were leveraged along with them. They're offering 17% plus interest rates at some point. For someone who's not financially literate and doesn't really know where interest rates come from or anything like that, that looks like a pretty good deal. That looks like something that you can actually make some money during you know, a pandemic or during the, the end of a bull market where a lot of people were losing their jobs back in the spring. There's a lot of layoffs. Looked like a pretty good deal, right? And for people walking into crypto thinking that they're not good enough to trade or they're not good enough to spin FTs up, 17% interest rate really suckered in a lot of people. Mashinsky is the face of that, right? So him stepping down is probably like the final, uh, I'd say like nail in the coffin for Celsius. Like they, they have no face anymore. They have no community anymore. They don't really have any assets. They have a $1.4, $1.2 billion hole in their balance sheet. Like there is no community. So him to say something about that is pretty laughable. I hope chapter 11 and all the restructuring works out well. It does seem from the initial reports we've seen from Coindesk and others that the people in charge still seem to be a little bit out there living on uh, you know, Planet 9. We have no idea what they're thinking with this stuff. They're talking about wrapping some of these assets, trying to do some sort of IOU tokens. Like, If I was in this sort of position, I would not be very happy. I'd be pretty frustrated. Zach, I'm going to throw it over to you. Get your take. Yeah, this is, again, another sort of casualty of the great unwinding of, you know, uh, May, June 2022 in the crypto markets. These are the things that happened and these are the ramifications and, and maybe potentially, hopefully, this is the healing process toward getting a better crypto system up on its legs. Uh, you know, whether that's Voyager being wiped out, whether that's Celsius uh, seeing at least a leadership change here. Uh, these are things that... Uh, all stem from just uh, a very notable month of May that was triggered by, honestly, the Luna collapse and uh, all its subsequent ramifications. So that to me is like sort of the big picture, I guess. Hopefully this is the battle testing, the hardening of the crypto economy. And, you know, there's probably a few more headlines like this before we, uh, we reach that better end state. I mean, you saw Michael Morrow of Genesis also step down. There's been a number of people whose heads have rolled, figuratively speaking, relating to some of the bets that they took during a highly volatile part of the market. Jen, I saw your hand up. I'm going to toss it straight to you uh, for your last thoughts on this. 
Yeah, you said kind of what I was going to say. I think that both these stories we spoke about this morning are a reminder that we're still very much in a bear market. When we reach the next bull cycle, I think the industry is going to look a little different than it did previously. And that's a good thing. I think it points to, you know, the industry maturing, getting better. Sure, a few heads will roll, but I think that we will learn from this and it is a great step to solving some of the issues we have in this very early stage industry. So there's a little positive angle. Welcome to Coindesk's Women Who Web 3 podcast, your weekly podcast celebrating women supporting women, investing in women, and bridging the gender gap in wealth through Web 3. Each week, we'll be learning from powerful women sharing their insights on topics like creating belonging and inclusivity in the digital spaces, the metaverse, building prosperous Web3 projects, investing in cryptocurrencies and building wealth. And we have how-tos from founders and builders who have been there and done that, healing sessions to give you the power to overcome imposter syndrome and everything you need to level up in your crypto journey. At the end of each podcast, stick around for some Zen with a relaxing meditation to center you after absorbing all the stories and the knowledge. I'm your host, Cams, and I'm on a mission to empower women across the globe to unlock the unlimited potential and earning power inside themselves through Web3. Whether you're just crypto curious or a crypto connoisseur, this podcast is for you. Let's get it. Coindesk has a new event. It's called Ideas, the Investing in Digital Assets and Enterprises Summit. It facilitates capital flow and market growth by connecting the digital economy with traditional finance. Join us for a 360 investment experience where you can source, invest, and secure the next big deal in digital assets, all in one place. Use code HASH20 for 20% off a general pass. Register today at coinest.com forward slash ideas. So it's been a while since we spoke about Wallet Wars, a coin that I termed on this show a while back, and I'm still waiting for my wipe control. I need that Wallet Wars wipe, so... It's not good enough to get get one, sorry. I know it's not. I'm just going to put it out there anyways. All right. Robinhood has released the beta version of their Web3 wallet to 10,000 users. So the company has been moving towards a more crypto-friendly approach over the last year, and now their Polygon-based wallet will allow users to trade over 20 cryptos, connect to dApps, and earn yields on assets. Will, I'm going to throw this down to you. Robinhood has really been trucking along, moving from being, you know, a traditional finance app to really embracing the world of crypto. What do you think of the story? Yeah, two points. One tech, one markets related. The first on the tech side, saying there's no trading fees for this, or at least Robinhood typically does not have trading fees, but they're using Polygon. They're using some other networks, which of course have some sort of trading fees built into it. So this makes me wonder who's paying for this at the end of the day. Somebody is. Maybe it's Robinhood. Maybe it's a like reallocate staking fees, put it back into like the trading fees. So there's something going on there. Do it is a nice little marketing gimmick though. They're they're probably just charging you somewhere else you don't know about. Second point is the no trading fees thing is really important because if you look at market structures, that's where everything is going, right? Robinhood made a big splash because they got rid of that. And a lot of other exchanges have made big splashes because of that. We saw that this summer with finance in July, they instituted a new policy. 
no trading fees on about 13 or 14 trading pairs. And since then, their volumes have increased against every single other large competitor out there going into a bear market. What we're seeing there is like consolidation for markets as opposed to like this splintering that we've had for so many years. That's because consumers really care about that price. They don't want to pay that extra 1%. So they're going to go to someone who's a little bit easier to use. That's at the same time as Coinbase actually increasing their trading fees on a lot of their different pairs on Coinbase app. So what we're seeing here is some efficiencies being built into trading apps going to a bear market, which is expected, right? Everyone has to get like a little prickly with each other. You have to be a little more competitive. And I'd expect that to continue to happen going into the bear market. Going to throw it over to you, Zach. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting example of Web 2.5, right? Web 2 giants using Web 3 technologies to their liking. I thought the thing that stood out to me is that this is powered by ZeroX protocol, which is a decentralized exchange aggregator protocol, right? So you have Robinhood kicking the tires, learning about the space, figuring out what's what. And they say, okay, yeah, let's build this thing through ZeroX. That's the best way we can sort of aggregate liquidity across various DEXs. And we're going to use this in a way that's meaningfully Web3. You know, it's rolled out by a Web2 company. But I think you can say here, this is meaningfully Web3, right? And I think that's really interesting to watch this evolution unfold. These are companies that come in, they test it out, they sort of start, do baby steps often, you know, in this walled garden, whether they partner with sort of backend providers or other custodians. And then sure enough, they kind of get to this closer to Web3 end state. And I think this is something that actually, you know, may not generate a ton of buzz, but is a really, really interesting signal that these companies are thinking, okay, how do we get something that is truly a bit more decentralized than what we started out with? And I think that's probably the story here for me. I'm curious to see what the next one is. What's the next big Web2 firm? Which Web3 service slash protocol they use and what they ultimately uh, accomplish in bringing these technologies to a bigger audience, which still remains quite small. But Will, I'm going to toss it over to you. What are your thoughts? I'm going to keep riffing with you on this because I think you bring up a really important point, which is probably super boring to a lot of people, but it's really important to know where are you going to place your bets? And my bets are on infrastructure going into a bear market. NFTs are great. Exchanges are great. There's a lot of frills out there in crypto, a lot of ways to make money. There's also a lot of ways to lose money. There's a lot of cool JPEG monkey things out there that you can buy. But the things that really do well consistently are the infrastructure pieces. And 0x, like you brought up, is a core piece of infrastructure. Basically allows you to look around at all the different DeFi exchanges out there, all the different places that token might be sitting and what price it's at, consolidate that into one market book, and then be able to purchase it. And so the fact that Robinhood went out and is working with 0x and working with that team specifically shows that they know what they're doing. They're picking the right winners and they're putting their money on top of a top firm like 0x moving into a bear market. So again, I think that's a nice idea to bring up right now. Infrastructure really matters. Jen, over to you. Yeah, we've kind of covered the progress too, right? From when those job postings went out to you know the crypto offering and now the wallet. I think this is really interesting because we spend so much time in this industry talking about UX, user experience. That's what we need to onboard people into crypto. And Robinhood has that user experience, right? And they've gone and they figured out the back end. They figured out how to implement this slowly and it might set them up for really to be in a really good position during the next bull cycle when we see more newbies come into the space. So it'll be interesting to watch to see if the crypto native traditional web three companies really do succeed over these, you know, web two, web 2.5 companies that we're seeing who have spent their time doing their research, making the right kind of partnerships to latch on to what they built um, in web two. 
So I'm looking forward to that. We have some Bitcoin mining history that we're about to unpack here. So I'm going to just, I'm just going to fade away. I'm going to give this to Will. Will, you got this. Okay, here we go. Let's talk about some mining stuff. I know, boring angle. Disclosure, I do work for a mining company. So everything I say is likely suspect. But let's dig <laughs> into Jihan Wu, what he's doing with BitDeer. BitDeer is a spinoff of Bitmain. Bitmain is one of the most important firms in Bitcoin historically. Why? Well, they have been involved with a few things in terms of Bitcoin's development over a few years, including the block size wars. There's a lot of different things going on here. We'll get to it in just a second. And now, Will's History Corner with Will Fox. Wow. So <laughs> <laughs> dignified. Wow. Pretty good, right? I wish I actually had a robe like that at home. Okay, let's wow. back up the truck a little bit. Let's talk about this story. So headline according to uh, our friends over at Bloomberg, David Pan, is that BitDeer is leveraging up a fund, $250 million. They're throwing $50 million of their own money into the pot. They're trying to get about $200 million from other players to scoop up distressed assets in Bitcoin mining land. Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining, like everything else in the market right now, is down 70, 80, 90% in some cases. And so there's a lot of cheap assets to go cherry pick. Which one do you want to gobble up? I think this guy knows it. Jihan Wu has been in the game for quite a while. He is notorious, including some of his most famous tweets, really set a precedent for what it means to be a Bitcoin entrepreneur out there. And he knows how these market cycles work. He's going to town, going to buy up some distressed assets to build BitDeer going into the next bull cycle. BitDeer itself is a spinoff, like I said, from Bitmain. They made about $5.6 billion in revenue last year. So pretty successful firm. Zach, I'll throw it over to you. All right. I'm a mining small brain, small brain, S-M-O-L. Help me out here. So when we're talking assets, are we talking like buying Bitcoin from miners who are looking to pay bills? Are we talking about buying machines that miners are looking to unload to pay bills? Like, What are we talking about? Do you have any sort of understanding of what Jihan is buying with this new fund? Yeah, it could be a lot of different things. Probably not Bitcoin because there's not going to be necessarily much of a discount. I think in years past, you might have seen that, right? Where maybe you come to some agreement on like a higher cost base for buying Bitcoin, but there's so many exchanges out there. Now it's about all these machines. It's about these future orders for machines. It's for infrastructure. It's for facilities. It's for handyman on sites. It's for operational people. It's for software that run these mines. And there's a lot of infrastructure that goes into these things. And people overbuilt during the bull market, thinking that it was only up only. I think to a degree, the uh, Bitcoin miners were probably really buying into the super cycle theory from Suzu. They got caught up in that. They built too much. And now they're selling a lot. So it's not only that BitDeer is going after this. There's a, there's a few other miners out there like CleanSpark that are doing a similar thing. Jen, I'll throw it over to you. Okay. I also have a question. And I'm sorry if it doesn't make sense, but here goes. So last week, Bitmain tweeted that they were reducing the prices on some of their machines. And now I read this story and it seems contradictory to me. I don't know if you can kind of help me. Have I made a wrong connection by trying to connect these two stories? No, it's a good connection. So Bitmain, like I said at the beginning, is like one of the largest Bitcoin firms in history of Bitcoin, like very short history of Bitcoin, very important firm. Uh, they basically have a monopoly on holding Bitcoin mining machines, producing Bitcoin mining machines, and selling them to the market. And now they are going to undercut the larger market. They're discounting their like their basic model by about 30%, while all these other liquid exchanges are out there for secondary selling of ASICs. 
Bitmain's going to come in and just drop ASICs for really cheap. That's going to put more pressure down on Bitcoin miners to sell their assets for even cheaper. And then BitDeer can come in and just swoop up. So I'm kind of like the Celsius story at the beginning or like any other stories we've seen over the last few weeks. A lot of companies are selling all their assets that they had pumped up during the bull market for really, really cheap right now. And there's going to be continued undercutting based on who was the first producer of an asset. If you can produce an asset for the cheapest, and you're still making money even if you're selling it for nothing, right? even if you're selling it very, very low, and then you're putting pressure on everyone else and wiping them out, and then you can come up and gobble them up and buy them out of the store. So good, good to put those two stories together. Great context. I just want to see the graphic again. Can we see the graphic again, Control? Can no we more. please no see more the graphic, graphic again? Oh, Control is bringing it up. Stand by. All right, I'm standing. I'm standing. <laughs> and now, Will's History Corner with Will Foxley. <laughs> amazing. It's amazing. Stuff. It's got like I Michael like Saylor vibes, like with the little, like the ship in the background. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, that was great. All right. That's the show for today. Thank you, Control, for indulging me on the fly. I appreciate you as always. All right. That's it for the show today. I'm Zach. That's Jen. That's Will. We'll be back tomorrow on The Hash. Thanks for watching us. Also, thanks for listening to us. Check out the Coindesk Podcast Network if you haven't already. Great way to listen to this on the run and getting caught up with news as you do it. All right. That's it for today. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Uh, you have a great one out there and happy Taco Tuesday to all who celebrate. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte after getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com Goals24. That's Chime.com Goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.